passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. What a dramatic end. How are you doing? A dramatic end to Dynamite, you mean? Uh, no, I meant to the theme music, but sure, to oh. Dynamite as well. Okay. Yes. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you, John? Uh, I'm doing all right. Can I ask you a favor? Sure. I left something upstairs. Can I quickly run up uh, for 30 seconds while you... Uh, yeah, please. Tell Go. people how, how much you love them. All right, everybody. While John Pollock very unprofessionally uh, decides to halt this live broadcast in order to go upstairs to grab God knows what. I'm willing to bet it's a coffee. Uh, could it be a tea? Likely a decaffeinated coffee is my guess. But um, I wanted to uh, welcome everybody joining us right now, whether live or in archive form. Video.postwrestling.com. Postwrestling. Wow. Record time. You're, you're lightning. I was, fast. I was what'd pretty you, close. I was with, what did you need to seconds. get? It was, um, it was a matter of life or death. I've had a very long day and I now have a coffee. Yeah. I was right. Everybody. It's a, a decaf. Is that right? Of course. Decaf. Uh, repping, repping my high school here. This is my, mm. this is, this is what I got for four years of high school. I got a coffee mug at the end, which I probably paid 20 bucks for to be quite honest. I don't think I got anything for free. I don't think I got anything. So nothing, nothing. You, you beat me. Well, there you go. There's there's high school in a nutshell for you. Um, we are going to get into things as we have uh, started off here with a record record amount of uh, interaction. Monday, Jerry Lawler suffered a stroke. Uh, this came out on Tuesday, and Jerry Lawler is now recovering in a hospital in Fort Myers, Florida. So, of course, with Jerry Lawler, we know that he has had a history, of course, famously, the, the cardiac arrest back in 2012 on that episode of Raw. Actually had another stroke several years ago in 2018. But today it sounded like the uh, a lot of optimism. There was a update from his account that he, with rehabilitation, is expected to make a full recovery. And, you know, it seems as though... Um, wouldn't say he's uh, necessarily out of the woods yet, but certainly looking a lot better than uh, some of the early reports were, and certainly the concern given his past history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, anytime you hear about um, somebody with that prior history, um, you know, you hear about them getting having a stroke. Um, 
it was definitely very concerning and then um a lot of elation so hopefully it's as full of a recovery as some of these reports are seeming to indicate you know um stroke is very serious very concerning do you think his wrestling is something to maybe consider and like he literally had a match uh 3 weeks ago uh, with the beer city bruiser like he still does mm-hmm. independent dates like every couple like he's fairly active i'm looking at his cage match here 12 I mean, matches he, i believe in the past year he may have had more matches last year than mjf did <laughs> yeah um you know i have not seen a jerry lawler match um since that last one on on raw so i, I mean pro- professional wrestling is an art form where you can really kind of cater to to one's limitations i i don't know i mean he's of- not doing anything crazy on these shows but Mm-hmm. At the at the same point, you you wonder just about you know a guy that has had you know multiple heart issues. At the same time, like look at what we were seeing of this man in 2012, um, and that episode of Raw, and you know what he came back from that, and he has been wrestling for ten years uh, since then as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's it's something where maybe he realizes this is maybe uh, not not the best thing, but. Um, Nonetheless, we wish him a, a full recovery. And yeah, that was, that was scary news to hear and just, just had been on WWE programming several times over the last few weeks with the Raw special and then the Royal Rumble kickoff as well. So. Yeah, I mean, at least, at, uh, you know, we hope for a full recovery because right now one of the things impacted, of course, is his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a guy who's a commentator or at least, you know, panelist, I mean, that's, that's his, biggest contribution at this point to the wwe broadcasts right so hopefully he can um yeah fully recover well that's what happened the the last stroke he had he he had stated he kept it quiet and then it was you know weeks later he noted that he had the stroke and he couldn't talk for almost three days uh before it all came back so anyway yes hopefully uh all of that is uh he, he is on the mend uh and on the road to recovery but uh there you go best wishes to jerry lawler We'll continue on and uh, discuss uh, a few other topics before we get into tonight's edition of Dynamite. And SummerSlam is going to the Motor City of Detroit, Michigan at Ford Field, which housed WrestleMania 23. Which I wonder if they will do any retrospectives on that uh, famous Donald Trump, Vince McMahon, hair versus hair promotion for that WrestleMania. I doubt it. <laughs> you don't think they're going to uh, reminisce about the, their last time at Ford Field with that? I, I feel John Cena and Shawn Michaels might get top billing for the the uh, last time we were at Ford Field video packages, maybe. Probably that, yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, it's going to be Saturday, August the 5th. Might I add, I've, I think a very underappreciated uh, movement uh, of WWE has been the move to Saturday nights. I, I love Saturdays a lot more than Sunday pay-per-views. Honestly, they're about the same to me, but um, I'm I'm happy for you. For my schedule, they're a lot better. Um, okay, I, I I like the Saturday. It's it's nice. It gives you a bit of a buffer day uh, before a Raw on Monday. So yes, it is Detroit. I'm going to imagine that much like last year in Nashville, that there will probably be a whole lot of surrounding events. Maybe um, I don't know if we're going to get Ric Flair's next match, but um, probably a lot of other events going on in Detroit, which is. You're going to draw from a lot of people, probably from, you know, uh, Southern Ontario and surrounding states that, you know, it's a, it's a, Detroit is, has not hosted like a big, big WWE event since that 
that WrestleMania in terms of a kind of big stadium level show. So yeah, it's certainly not Chicago um, in terms of a frequency of, of a wrestling events, nor the, the, I, I suppose maybe the tourism, um, maybe not as big of a draw as a Chicago. Nonetheless, uh, you and I are considering it. You know, it's only a, I mean, it's it's closer than it is, than Montreal is yeah. coming up for Elimination Chamber. So, yeah, if you're in Toronto, maybe this might be the closest you'll you'll get to SummerSlam in quite some time. Do you see do you see ROH? Um, piggybacking off of any events beyond WrestleMania. Like the, you, we can already see the, um, the tickets for Supercard. They're already at like 2,500 or so, and probably a lot more will move over the coming months. But do you look at ROH as sort of that in between that we don't want to piggyback with AEW, but ROH is sort of the brand that maybe we do, uh, go to cities where there's a big gathering of wrestling fans. I mean, it certainly would be fair game, you know. I, I mean, I, I don't exactly really know what's behind Tony Khan's reluctance to piggyback an AEW show off of WWE, other than maybe just the perception. Per, what to not that that you don't want to be a secondary brand, or like that you don't want to use WWE. I think so. It's WrestleMania weekend, and I don't think you want to be going. What's Rampage to, then? What are piggybacking mean? off of SmackDown? Um, Friday. I. I I mean, I, I don't look at that as so much as though it's like, it's WWE's night. Um, and also, I but mean, you are directly following their biggest show. Anyway, you, uh, I'm just saying, I, I, I think you could definitely let that go. You know, WWE, like if this, this, the, the, you know, the, if the, the roles were reversed, they would certainly be piggybacking off of uh, AEW if AEW was the dominant one. So I, 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 you know, if I'm Tony, then yeah, like run, run an ROH show, especially for something like an ROH. I think at this point, you kind of need every advantage you can get to try to, you know, make that, um, a bigger brand. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what um, a SummerSlam weekend uh, encompasses as we're getting uh, closer to WrestleMania and we will uh, go over some of the announcements that uh, WrestleMania weekend has had. Going back to last weekend, uh, so the Bellator numbers on CBS are out and they ended up finishing with uh, just over a million viewers, the uh, exact number being a million sixty eight thousand and a point one eight in the 18 to 49 demographic and then a point one one among 18 to 34. So among the big four networks, um, you know, they were behind Saturday Night Live, the NBA, um, Dateline Mystery, College Basketball, and then they tied way. They were on even footing in the demo with Night Court and Lopez versus Lopez in primetime programming. So they did, I, I would say, I wouldn't even say these were like average numbers. They were definitely low numbers for prime time, but I think the bar is very low for Saturday night in prime time. They did beat the, like the lead in programming that CBS provided them. And so it's, is this, is this a new version of Night Court? It's not the John yeah, Larroquette. John Larroquette's on this. Yeah. It's like a, oh, it's a new one though. Yeah. Yeah. They rebooted Night Court. Dude, they've rebooted everything. That's the saddest of entertainment. Night Court really that popular? Have you heard what Showtime is doing? First of all, the network is now Paramount Plus with Showtime. Something to that effect. It's just a terrible name. And it's just coming up with, like, they want to do, uh, Dexter spinoffs. They want to do Billion spinoffs. It's, that's, that's the whole game at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like take existing fan bases and create 
plays off of things that worked in the past and hopefully we can draw people in with new with did night court work that well <laughs> like, it was huge huge oh i was never God. a night court viewer no i didn't ever watch it okay i mean this could be the greatest show ever but i mean it caught your you know, attention so i mean this is tremendous more, marketing for more John perplexing Larkin. than anything but um did as well as the fate or final match so i i would put these numbers at you know, right around what I think would have been expected. Like Bellator w- is not this red hot brand, nor is the novelty of MMA on network television in prime time anywhere near the importance level. That was interesting last week to see sort of a different generation of MMA fans where, I mean, way you remember with Elite XC and even the Strike Force cards on CBS, that in and of itself was a huge deal that MMA was getting that level of a platform. MMA is so normalized. It's just, it's another sport. It's not as mm-hmm. though this is this major risk that CBS is taking. I mean, the, it was interesting because when you go back to that for the first Fox special that UFC did and they were replacing the canvas when there was blood on it because they just didn't want the sight of blood. And this, this card, the main card opens with Brendan Ward and Saba Homasi and they just have a bloodbath and it's, like there's no controversy attached to this there's no outrage over this it's just like it's a sport and yes there it, it is a violent sport at times but it's just nowhere near what it meant a generation ago to be on network television so to that end uh, like the idea like i w- i would still classify these as relatively disappointing numbers but i would not go so far as to say that this bombed on saturday night they uh, you know a 0.18 is at this level on a weekend in prime time, maybe they don't get a prime time slot. Maybe it's an afternoon slot, but it would not surprise me if they get one more uh, kick at going on CBS, which would certainly be to Bellator's benefit because Showtime, it's it's a much smaller audience that they are playing to. And there's a lot of great fighters in Bellator. They have a very good presentation like they're It's just notoriety. And a lot of it is hearkening to names from the past that – as we continue to go forward, there are fewer and fewer of those stars from the past, but they've got some really quality fighters. It's just they're not known to the – even the general MMA consumer that's only watching UFC uh, uh, among the, the big fights. So maybe the mm-hmm. afternoon card will grab you eh, if they if they come back for one later this year. We will see. It's got to it's gotta be on Wei Ting standard time zone. Other numbers from uh, this past week. So Raw did 1 million – 866,000 viewers and a 0.55 in the demo. So this was sort of, a, I guess, a, more of a normal range after the Raw 30th special and last week's show coming off the Royal Rumble. Number one on cable, uh, down 12% in viewers from last week and down 13 in the demo. Um, actually up with women in 18 to 49 this week. Maybe they, uh, ju- they just sensed that there was going to be a big surprise at the end with Lita. Maybe a lot. Um, Brandon did have the quarters and that Heyman Cody Rhodes segment to start off the third hour did tremendous. Um, so I mean, Cody this week, I mean, the guy has a lot to pat himself on the back for from the house show figures to that dynamite segment, pardon the pun on Monday and the ratings reflecting it. Like to do that in the third hour, very impressive. So I mean, I know that there's a lot of people that are maybe on the, the Sami Zayn bandwagon, but man, Cody Rhodes is not just a, great alternative i think there's a lot of evidence that it probably is the 
the superior build. And that's not to diminish that Reigns and Zane could be a tremendous build. I think it's two really great options and they're, they're making the choice and there's no evidence so far early that they made the wrong choice. Yeah, I, I don't know if at this point I, I, I would be able to say that it was superior, but certainly of a similar caliber two weeks in, you know, I mean, and, and really it's more than that, you know, going all the way back from last year's WrestleMania, you know, I think that entire journey for Cody Rhodes, there are going to be some people maybe continuing to, you know, um, question whether or not Sami Zayn should really continue to go on. But honestly, both of them are so hot right now. I don't think you could go, go wrong with either. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of the, of the story being told. I really like the idea of both headlining their respective nights with the Usos night one and then the big title match night two. I think those are your hottest programs and those should be the main events, at least where we're standing two months out, unless something else really catches fire and Ronda Rousey and Shane Baszler teaming up is um, just sends the world ablaze. I do think that's key, you know, to, to, to decreasing any sort of resentment towards Cody. Sami Zayn has to have a prominent, meaningful role at WrestleMania. I think so. And I think going for the tag titles, I'm, I'm dead set on that, that closing scene in the Bell Center where it's just Owens and Zane hugging and grown men crying inside the Bell Center. I think that's, that's the way you end things. Will you shed a tear? You think? No, no. I'll just be standing there stoic with my notepad and you'll just laugh at me and probably be videotaping me without me realizing it. It might be the other way around. Yeah, dude, right. I, I can't tell you how many people I'm hearing now from that are like planning to, to go to this, like making travel plans to go to this show. I don't know if there's enough tickets left for, to, to accommodate all this. This is a big show. It's going to feel um, incredible that night. Like they have this. This feels like a this feels bigger than the rumble to me. What's pretty amazing is, is the fact that they managed to book Montreal for this particular show, you know, at a time like could they have expected at the time that they booked it that Sami Zayn a hometown guy would be this hot. I mean, when did they announce this? It was probably in the, I mean, they probably booked it like well before they announced it, but, mm-hmm. and that just goes to show you like this angle started in August and Zane was just supposed to be there a week or two for some comedy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a happy accident that you're here, but also, you know, once this did catch fire, knowing that you had that destination coming up, that probably was, not the worst thing in the world to know, hey, we're going towards this place and let's maximize it for all it's worth. Uh, other numbers uh, to get to. So NXT on Tuesday. There was a lot going on Tuesday. Way, were you watching either LeBron James breaking the uh, the scoring record of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or were you watching Biden's State of the Union address? I was watching Ding Dong Hello. <laughs> well, um yeah. A very painful ending for Gigi Dolan in that segment, uh, going mm-hmm. into the door, but they did 562,000 viewers, a 0.11 in the demo. So, uh, they did not go up against the, uh, the NBA game, which was number one on cable with LeBron breaking the record, but they did go up against the state of the union. And that was, you know, covered by multiple networks, cable and network. So only down 4% in viewership, but it was their lowest viewership since December, lowest demo number, uh, since May of last year, dropping 19%. Although one demo that did very well was 18 to 34. They increased 10%, including a big jump with women in that demo, but, uh, 35 to 49, uh, big, big declines there. And probably some of that you can attribute, uh, maybe even a lot to the state of the union. So that was NXT on Tuesday night, a lower than usual number, but certainly an asterisk you can put next to it with the competition. And then MLW, uh, 
premiered on reels with MLW Underground Wrestling. And while the State of the Union had ended by this point, they were going up against that big NBA game. Although once we're talking about a lower audience, I don't know how volatile a MLW audience is going to be compared to something, you know, larger like an NXT. But for show number one on the new network, they did 79,000 viewers and a 0.03 in the demo. Uh, the only, you know, um, so reels is in around 38 million homes. So the best comparison is that time they were on Vice uh, a number of years ago and did something like 41,000 viewers, which was considered very, very low uh, at, at that point. So to put this into context, um, Access TV is in, you know, just a few million less homes than Reels is in. And Impact has more viewers than MLW, at least week one. But MLW does have the higher number in 18 to 49, looking at how Impact's been performing this year after five weeks. So I did watch episode one, and these were matches that were taped back in October. So these, these, it wasn't from the most recent tapings this past weekend. Uh, but we saw Alex Hammerstone beating EJ and Duca, who got to appear on both MLW and AEW Dark within hours of each other and also tape months apart. Um, that was on there. They also, you know, got a lot of personalities onto it. Uh, Alex Kane, who's a very good talker, um, and Enzo, real one, as he is now uh, going by. Uh, he was featured like the first 15 minutes of the show was him out there and rapping and then getting knocked out by Mance Warner, which sets up a street fight for next week. And... Overall, like it was, um, MLW certainly has its own vibe to it, its own feel. You're not watching that show and immediately just being taken back to, you know, former WWE talent that are now here. Like they certainly have their own identity to them. But as we are always bringing up way, it's probably not going to be people's number one priority each week. And it is finding that, that hour. Are, are people going to find an extra hour in the week to be seeking this out? I would say for the first week on Reels, I would say this is a very respectable number given the, the level that MLW is at. I don't think people are looking at this to be anywhere near an NXT, and it's going to be sort of at that impact level, which we see with impact. It's, you know, that is um, – it is tough to garner that attention, even on a network that's in, you know, 35 to 38 million homes. It's a lot less than some of the bigger ones. And in general, I think just the perception of growth for the company, you know, more content hours, more uh, homes and eyeballs being placed on it. This um, is a major upgrade from being sports, like significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and more options and more more ways for people to actually check it out if they do in fact hear about a show that a lot of people are or a match I mean that a lot of people are talking about if if uh, you know uh, uh, people are talking a whole lot about Alex Hammerstone and who's this guy where do I check that out well I might have reels so maybe I'll go check that out is it is this a is there a Canadian um, availability for this not yet okay. um and I asked about that right when they announced it and have not heard back of like a, a Canadian window for this um. I don't even know like what their like YouTube strategy is for the, the, the show either. But yeah, that's, um, that, that's kind of limiting. Like I was even getting questions because Reels did a bunch of wrestling programming this weekend on Sunday night. They did, you know, uh, docs on Owen Hart, on Roddy Piper and a new one on China. So it's, yeah, it, it's a network that it's, you know, it's US based. So that is going to limit, um, international audiences, but. They were stating at the time that they were, they were hoping to work something out on that front. So 
That is the, uh, the MLW number. And then WrestleMania week, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about this on, on Monday. So shows are starting to uh, take shape. So just to give everyone a look at some of the, the highlights already. So Thursday is uh, shaping up to be quite the busy day, which include uh, a DDT show, uh, New Japan, Strong Style Evolved, the Mark Hitchcock Memorial Super Show, which is always crazy dream matches and is always like one of, one of the big shows of WrestleMania week. And they have Will Ospreay announced for that. Bloodsport. And then uh, today, Impact and New Japan have announced a, a co-promoted show, Multiverse United, and they have already announced Moose against Jeff Cobb, Josh Alexander against Kushida, and Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey. So Ospreay is doing the Mark Hitchcock Memorial Show um, in the afternoon, and then this is taking place 11 p.m. our time, Eastern time. So that's like two – Big matches that Os- Osprey is going to be doing in one day, and this uh, uh, New Japan on that John, like just just to cut cut you off, we got Mike Bailey taking on Will Osprey and Kota Ibushi in the same night. That's right, that that's crazy? right. He's on the Bloodsport show the same night with Kota. Yeah, Speedball is out to have. He was the star. He was the WrestleMania weekend star last year, um, and he's he might look to repeat. Yeah, well, Osprey is going to be like I imagine he's going to have a handful of matches, but uh, Bailey was incredible last year. He's been incredible all year long. So this is that's going to be quite the one day performance that he's working yeah. with Abushi, and that's a, dude. That's at four o'clock, and the next show is like seven Pacific. So he's not even has all that much downtime between the two shows either. Wow, that's nuts. Eight Pacific, um, uh, it, it says here. For oh, strong. eight Pacific. All right. Or for for a impact, yeah. And then later that Thursday night is for the culture that has become a, a staple for GCW. Friday has Supercard of Honor, Jimmy Lloyd's Degeneration F, a DDT versus GCW event, uh, SmackDown, which is uh, paired with the Hall of Fame, Spring Break, Way's favorite show of the year, including his favorite match of the year. Uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro is Friday night. Uh, Prestige has a show and then GCW emo night. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So again, um, as you've investigated, all the collective shows are part of this fight plus. It deal. is. Yeah. The, and I, I have not found out yet about the, the trial, but yeah, five, um, four ninety nine. Your subscription for Fight Plus gets you all the collective shows, which there's 11 of them, including Spring Break and Bloodsport. Are there any other WrestleMania uh, non-collective shows that you know that might be a part of this as well? Um, I mean, either way, it's 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 it feels like it's a no-brainer, especially if you're somebody who's used to you know paying for even a single GCW. Yeah, I mean, dude, show. the collective that like that includes this emo fight, includes for the culture, it's uh, the Degeneration F show. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, beyond worth your value for five bucks that you're getting all of these. And then uh, Sa- Saturday's also got uh, Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which is part of the Fight Plus package. Gringo Loco's World on Lucha, which was an excellent show last year. Stand and Deliver. And then the first night of WrestleMania. And um, yeah, and then the rest of the WWE stuff on Sunday. I, I mean, part of me really wishes I, I could be in the city to try to jump to all these shows but another part of me is really thankful that i'm not because i i don't know how i'd be able to catch even a, a quarter of all that you know 
it's going to be a crazy Jeez. period. Like just the DDT show, like they've got Konosuke Takeshita against Yuki Ueno. That's going to be phenomenal. They're bringing in Junakiyama, uh, Kazusada Haguchi. Like they're bringing in all the big guns for these DDT shows. I'm very curious if Okoto Ibushi makes an appearance anywhere else, you know, besides Bloodsport. I mean, attached to the collective and they're working with the DDT, is, is that a potential spot for him to make an appearance? Yeah. I mean, I think you would wonder if he gets booked on the Supercard of Honor show. I almost, yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. That's... The whole wrestling world will be in town. All right. Um, and then the last note here, I just want to make mention that, uh, this Saturday is UFC 284 and it's a really big main event. Like this is, if you are a follower of the sport to simply see the best fight the best, I don't know if you could ask for a better fight this year than Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. This is the, uh, Makachev just won the lightweight title from Charles Oliveira. So this is his first title defense against Volkanovsky, who many would view as the top pound for pound fighter in the world, who is the champion at 145, coming up to lightweight to try and become a double champion. And a lot of people are favoring, uh, Makachev, which is completely justified, but I am, looking at Volkanovsky as a very real threat to uh, Makachev. Like, this is going to be an incredible fight. I don't know if this is going to be your fight of the year. It's going to be, uh, th- just to me, though, the stakes. Um, y- You could a- not ask for a better fight. Like, it is very rare that you get two people in their prime at the top of their respective weight classes um, fighting one another. And you look at these records. Each has one pro loss on their records. Uh, Volkanovsky has never lost at uh, inside of the UFC and has won 22 straight fights. So that gives you a sense and a guy who owns three victories over Max Holloway. So an incredible resume um, that both men possess. So this is a, a huge fight that's happening on Saturday as well. Yair Rodriguez is fighting Josh Emmett to crown a interim featherweight champion. So that would likely set up a challenger for Volkanovsky later this year, depending on how things go in the main event. So, um, Josh Emmett is someone he's he's 37 has certainly beaten a who's who to earn um this at very least an interim title fight beating uh, Michael Johnson, Mursad Bektich who at one point was a surging prospect, Shane Burgos, Dan Ige and Calvin Cater. So that's a really impressive list of five consecutive wins that he has had but is getting up there at age 37 had a brutal fight with Jeremy Stevens several years ago and Rodriguez um he's only had four fights in the last four years so his last fight was the fight with Brian Ortega that barely got started before Ortega suffered a shoulder injury and the fight ended within seconds back in July but he's an extremely dynamic fighter and um I, I think this is one where it could be certainly you look at Josh Emmett over the course of five rounds. He is extremely, extremely durable. Um, but Yair Rodriguez, he has, um, his, his dynamic striking is probably going to be uh, a key, especially early in this fight. So it's two very quality main events. Um, this is the card that's happening in Australia undercard. Like there's some interesting fights, but it really does come down to the top two fights. But this main event, I think is as good a main event as we might see uh, this year in terms of guys at the prime of their careers. So that's Saturday night and Eric Marcotte and I will be going live Sunday 1 p.m. Eastern as we discuss UFC 284, which is the start of a stretch of UFC pay-per-views. They've got 
Uh, in March, they're running two pay-per-views, which include the return of John Jones on March 4th and then the rematch between Leon Edwards and the star of Wakanda Forever, Kamaru Usman, coming up later in March in London, England, which I'm, uh, I'm three quarters of the way through, uh, Black Panther 2. I, I can't imagine like stopping like movies, you know, I, like how, how many, how many viewings have you had to get I, you three quarters of the way? Two sittings. So the third one, I'm going to finish it. I don't, right. I don't have time. I don't have time to sit down for two and a half hours. Like I literally, I watched this till like 1030 last night and then I had to, I had to watch NXT. I had to watch MLW. And then, um, that was it. That, that, that was my Tuesday night way. Couldn't, couldn't even squeeze in the state of the union address. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay. All right. Um, way on Tuesday, we traveled to 1993 to talk about tabloid terrorism. What did you find out of this rewind away that was enlightening? <laughs> um, five that Hulk commandments. Hogan, that Hulk Hogan is a very interesting person. Um, and the portrait, his portrayal in 1993, I, I mean, oddly uh, relevant to the Hulk Hogan that I think we, we know of today. Yeah. This was an edition, a couple editions of Raw from February of 1993, 30 years ago, back when Raw was only one month old. And this took place, uh, in the lead up to WrestleMania nine. So those of you who tuned into Rewind Away last month, where we talked about WrestleMania eight and Hulk Hogan's last appearance, uh, at least of that particular, uh, time frame, this picks right back up when he makes his return to come to the aid of one Brutus Beefcake who had his face demolished, face smashed by the Halliburton briefcase of one IRS and Ted DiBiase and Money Inc. But, you know, the the real talk of this entire interview, or sorry, review was a bit of a hidden gem of a sit-down chat that Hulk Hogan had with Vince McMahon talking um, sort of, you know, making reference to at least, uh, part of the reasons why he was, uh, not, not present, um, talking about a lot of the media's coverage of his personal life and the mistakes that he's made. It's a wonderfully interesting piece of TV, um, that I don't recall many people speaking about from WWF in 1993. Yeah. So if you go through the last couple of Rewind Aways, you can certainly weave through our 1992-1993 navigation of the WWF. So this is our latest chapter, The Return of Hulk Hogan. This is available at postwrestlingcafe.com for all members. Uh, $6 gets you access to the entire archive, including 125 editions of Rewind Away, including this week's, as we go back to February of 1993, reviewing two editions of Raw. And we will be back, as we are every Friday night, with Rewind a Smackdown. So that is all coming up this week. Plus, we have uh, postmarks dropping on Saturday. Martin Bushby, the great man, will be uh, joining David and Bruce. And as I mentioned, Sunday, I'll be uh, live with Eric at 1 Eastern on the YouTube channel. And, of course, WrestleNomics Radio with Brandon, Chris, and Jesse. Mm-hmm. The seal of approval from Waiting. Oh, you're always fantastic, yeah. Um should I do more? Should I? Would you like more words of affirmation? I could. I you, could go for you. The do a great job. You could clap. You could clap. I think you. I think uh, your sweater is really nice today. Oh, you know. Thank you. Ca- camera looks good. Voice sounds good. Internet connection is great. So, I think you're doing a fantastic job as always, John. I'm proud. I was of very you. frustrated when I logged in and you said uh, my audio wasn't uh, 
working. I was turned out frustrated. it was my problem. Yeah, so. it was yours. It was it was me. I was I was all set. <laughs> I even I, I double checked to make sure it's the right mic input, so you don't have to correct me because I know that's a little tiresome for you to remind me. The echo cancellation was was still on, oh, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not turn that off. I know I didn't. It's but now good. I will remember. Okay, I'm definitely a. Re- you, you, I need to establish patterns, and then I remember. You got to remind me like three or four times, and then the fifth, I'm, I'm good. I'm the same. Like my wife, I'm the same to my wife. Like with the baby, like she'll tell me a number of things that I'll I'll just kind of nod my head and say yes because there's so much of it, and then I'll completely forget, and she'll kind of get on my case. So repetition is definitely the key. Well, tonight it was the MJF show. I, I Maybe not even the MJF show, but I will say tonight the show was all about putting as much heat as possible on MJF. And I would say they succeeded in, if that was the task tonight, of making him the most hateable world champion going into this pay-per-view. Because he was all over this card. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say he, he was already kind of there, but you're right. Like this, this tonight definitely kind of put in focus, into focus the match with Brian Danielson, the main event of Revolution. So, and MJF starts out the show coming out, tons of booze, another great Texas crowd. They were in El Paso on Wednesday night, and he's got his MJF 2024 jacket that if they put these on sale for $200, these fans would be buying up. $200 feels like kind of cheap actually these days for a jacket. I mean, that's, you know? that's a title belt. Yeah. You could, uh, you could get the combo 500 for the jacket, the belt and the, um, uh, even that scarf. sounds pretty, re- even that sounds kind of reasonable actually today. You know, those belts are pretty like those belts alone are 500 bucks. Bray Wyatt really smashed open the belt market, didn't he? A few years ago. Uh, uh, with, with the, the fiend belt smashed yeah. open. That thing was how much was that going for? That was that was over I don't know. That was in the thousands, I believe. Is that right? Wow. No, it was something nuts. Hmm. So this is our first it's it's championship fight night because uh the four champions, there's all implications between title eliminators and then two title matches to follow. So we're kicking off with MJF and Konosuke Takeshi. It, it it was more of a battle of the belts than battle of the belts. <laughs> You're right. You're right. We've never got this level of importance attached to mm-hmm. a battle of the belts. Um, so they, they should have just called it Battle of the Belts. In my oh, they, you don't want to devalue a dynamite like that. We, we've established championship fight night, Battle of the Belts. Yeah. <laughs> so MJF, he goads Takesh into shaking his hand, and Takeshita, the good sport that he is, shakes his hand and then gets kicked in the gut. MJF is then using Paul Turner as a shield, uh, but Takeshita comes back, brain buster. He gets on top. He does the, the Eddie shuffle. And then the whole place is chanting for Eddie, who continues to be the most over baby face in 2023. And, um, yeah, uh, consistently, consistently referenced. I thought there was a part of me that felt like almost like I, I was expecting every match to have some sort of Eddie reference. And I think we, we only, I only counted two. So, um, I applaud them for holding back, but um, this was would have been a night where I think I would have welcomed the Nettie spot in every single match in El Paso. Takeshita countered a tombstone to hit a bastard driver and then deadlifting MJF into a German. Uh, but during the match, MJF is working on the arm and Takeshita is constantly clutching at the arm and, uh, and it would slow him down at different points and of course weakening it for the salt of the earth, which he would apply. Takeshita rolls out, lands a Topekan hero and then rolls down the knee pad and MJF again bailing to the floor. 
and MJF behind the ref's back kicks the rope into Takeshita and there is a power bomb onto MJF's knee and then he starts selling his knee after delivering this power bomb and he's selling it and selling it so Takeshita comes back Blue Thunder Bomb, knee strike, and then MJF gets his foot on the rope, and the audience is very much into this, and they are sucked in that Takeshita might pull this one out. And he goes, Takeshita, for a springboard into a Senton Atomico, loses his balance, but then resets and goes for it, missing the move, and then MJF pounces on him, salt of the earth, rotates over, hyperextending the arm, and Takeshita has to submit in 13 minutes and 19 seconds. You can see like the slip up off the balance, but I love that that one error did lead to the end of the match. Like that caused him to miss the move and then MJF got the advantage. And you kind of like the, like the story here that one mistake and that cost him the match by the end. The, the error added to the match, you know, and they played it up in, in a way that thankfully, you know, fed into a spot where he was supposed to get countered anyway. So, um, I thought it was a great match. You know, these MJF matches are very rare. Um, he, he evidently wrestled less than Jerry Lawler last year, but every time he wrestles, it feels like an attraction. They, I don't like, when was the last time he did a TV match against punk? You know, starts. Oh, Ricky starts. Okay. Well, nonetheless, it, it, it's incredibly rare and it's not just because he rarely wrestles. It's not just because he can talk his way up into making you feel like his matches are big. It's because the matches are really good. You know, he is, his in-ring standard is incredibly high. And I thought oh, tonight we, we, was we no skipped the spot where he took the lariat off the top turnbuckle and he on his flipped feet. and landed on his feet. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I'd almost be saving that, that, that spot for a, for a time when you want to get that reaction. Cause it looked cool as hell. Yeah. Oh, how many people do like a top rope lariat though? You know, like, like, it's, I guess it's one of like Takeshita's signatures, right? But yeah, it was really cool. Like, and that's the thing. MGF certainly does take shortcuts, but he shows enough skill in these matches to be absolutely credible. And you, you completely need that as a champion. You can't just have a champion cheat in every single aspect. And you know, that's, that's kind of what you tend to have with like a money in the bank briefcase winner who just kind of like squeaks by, loses every single week and just squeaks by with that gimmick. MJF isn't just relying on gimmicks. He's, he's, he's definitely relying on gimmicks to get you. 15% of the extra way there, but you know, the other 85% is pure skill. Yeah. And, and I think he's very much like a Ric Flair in that sense. Takeshita, fantastic selling of, of that arm throughout this entire match, you know, keeping attention on it the entire time throughout every single one of his moves. He, you know, there's going to be some debate like there was, I'm sure last week about, you know, just even him being a part of this match when he was just starting to get wins on TV, when he was just starting to build momentum, Putting him up against a champion where, you know, he inevitably lost. Does it derail that momentum? Um, and seeing the results here, I really don't think so. I mean, he went 20 minutes. Was that how long this was, John? Like, felt like 20 minutes. It was, it was just over 13. Okay. Well, it felt substantial enough to, to, to feel like 20 minutes, but okay, fine. 13 minutes with the champion here. And, it was more than 50-50. Like, it was very even, and it was not, like, the type of match where he was completely outclassed. In fact, he was sort of, like, the, the dominant one for a lot of it. Um, well, at least um, with uh, arm injury aside. But, you know, Takeshita 
to me, felt like a very credible world champion level contender coming out of this. And he only lost because, you know, of, uh, well, the arm. So I, I, I think this helped achieve an elevated status for him as somebody who can, for, you know, convincingly beat a champion. So I don't think he was hurt personally. Not at all. Like this audience was all behind him. They believed he could win. As I said last week, I, I think you could have had him win. I understand not doing that. You are building towards the, this pay-per-view and to do this for, for one week. Like I, I, I am very high on Takeshita, you know, getting to that next level that this audience sees him in right now. You always want to be able to make sure you get the timing right and you don't ever lose the audience that loses faith. But I don't think they are anywhere near that with Takeshita and whether this culminates with the Don Callis involvement or something else. Um, you know, I, I just think like every time out he has been, you know, he just has such a unique charisma about him. He's a terrific performer, but it's, it's the whole package that he has in my estimation that, um, this, this was a great, uh, showcase to start off. And it tells you that this audience, like they believe that this guy can, could have won this match. But audiences are certainly right to be skeptical, you know, because there are a lot of guys on AEW who kind of play the supporting act. Um, that, you know, they'll have killer matches and they'll gain a ton of steam, like, you know, like a, like a Dante Martin, for instance. And they're, they'll always lose. And, you know, you always wonder when it is that they'll actually get a push or if they'll just con- continue to play second fiddle. Um, so I think follow through is incredibly important. You know, is Takeshita still, you know, at this point, I mean, he should be playing sort of like supporting act for Brian and, and I thought he was very effective here, but, um, beyond that, you know, can they cement a bigger role for him? Well, I think it helps that he is, a t- he is attached to who is being presented as the top babyface right now in Danielson. I think that link helps a lot. After the match, MJF knocks down referee Paul Turner and then takes his ring and busts open Kanosuke Takeshita. And he is bleeding. And I'm thinking, man, that's, that's a good amount of blood. It would, uh, th- this was tonight's uh, tribute to Muda for, uh, Danielson and Takeshita. As Danielson every, was, every, every dynamite, actually. Well, there was, a, there was a, a lot of bleeding to come on this show. So Takeshita is left for dead in the ring. And then Danielson runs down chasing off MJF. We hear from Samoa Joe, who is once again double champion, and he calls Darby a worthy adversary, but Wardlow is not. I've taken your title. I took your hair. I have nothing left to take. And I know that you are a man with many secrets, and I will expose you if you come for me, and then I will take everything from you. So he kind of contradicted himself that what le- what is there left for me to take from you, but then noting I can expose you and take everything. So he knows that there is there is hidden uh, there's hidden value left in Wardlow that is still for the taking. I mean, after, after you've taken a, a, a man's man bun, I, I, I don't know what possibly, uh, you know, you could threaten him with. I mean, he, I think Wardlow has nothing to lose at this point. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Jamie Hayter and the Bunny is our next title eliminator with Penelope Ford in the corner of the Bunny. So this match um, saw Jamie Hayter get snap suplexed into the steps. And then we go to the commercial. 
This match was six minutes, and like th- half of it was in the picture in picture. So, you know, coming back, you might want to finish the the, the rest of the match, John, because there wasn't much of it. First of all, I'll finish it. I'll 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 do your. I'll I'll, I'll take that that off your plate for now, because we come back from break, and Jamie Hader is essentially kind of beginning her comeback. She delivers one exploder, delivers another exploder that looks incredibly awkward, and they go right to the finish. So. And the commentators could not um, ignore it either. Like they're trying to come up with a – well, Bunny was trying to block the exploder and she didn't quite get all of it, but it it did not look good. Well, I definitely wonder if Bunny got hurt off the exploder. It looked like a really bad landing. She did not really um, – she got up for the the lariat afterwards. But, I mean, um, I I personally wonder if they had to cut this match short because um, something – It certainly felt short. It certainly felt short because it was just – like they came back from break and it was almost immediately like going to the end sequence. So hopefully mm-hmm. that that was not the case. But yeah, it was it was very quick and I mean it, it, this was not any kind of standout. Unfortunate, match really, for for Bunny. You know who? Um, if, if in fact, like, first of all, we hope that she she's not injured. But um, uh, she's had like. Some, you know, like it's tough. It, it's been tough for her to build any sort of meaningful momentum. I would say, you know, um during her, her time on TV, um, it, it sometimes played with injuries and sometimes just maybe like, you know, with, with these sort of like f- false starts, but she is one of those people that's just kind of like in a supporting act role right now. Renee interviewed Tony Storm and Soraya and called Hater a loser, just like everyone else here in AEW. And to emphasize this point, they bring in Leva Bates. The librarian is back and they ask her what her name starts with. L. Like loser. So they beat down Leva Bates, spray paint the L on her, the back of her. And Soraya says, we're not here to make friends. We're here for the belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this like Soraya Tony Storm gimmick has, um, has been very one note, you know, and, and I guess when you don't have that much TV time, you don't have, <laughs> you don't really have exactly, you know, like a, like an opus, um, in you. Um, you're really kind of left with these one things, but I'm, I'm not really, I haven't been into these sort of like, uh, spray paint types of things. I think the, the thing that like their act needs the most is some form of substance to explain why they don't like AEW originals, um, or why they feel like the, they, they themselves are superior. I mean, I feel like Saraya did a better job of giving me depth for a heel character in her first AEW promo than she has now as a full on, full on heel. Um, the, I guess the spray paint thing is kind of cute, but I think without like real substance in her promos to back it up, it feels really empty. Um, so they, they, they've missed know. that. Like both of them have turned and you've never understood why, why have we gone from they were these, popular baby faces to they hate they hate everybody now like you you missed that that bridge from mm-hmm. one to the other and i don't think you can really it, it's just you're, you're right like it's very surface level at this point like we are playing bad guys now and that is she's, why yeah she's a generic heel you know um and it's been like soraya's run has at this point been pretty disappointing um i would say like just not even talking about in ring cuz we haven't seen a ton of in ring but just even from her promos which i thought were her biggest strength I'd, i've been pretty disappointed and i i think tony storm's kind of being dragged down you know at this point too like i i thought she was a pretty successful baby face but as sort of like you know in ring she's great but as a as a heel character i i haven't seen enough from either of them 
Well, that was not the promo I think people are going to be focusing on from this show. Instead, we go to Lexi Nair, who is called and summoned into MJF's locker room. And there he is, seated on the bench, and says that Takeshita is good, but no match for him. Nobody is. And I get treated like a scumbag by these fans. And he tells Danielson, a man doesn't know what he's made of until he meets adversity. So he tells us a story. Back in junior high, when he was going around with all of his football buddies, these same buddies that he once told us he, he detested these people. Didn't these people make his life hell? Well, I'm sure he has more than one Okay. Friend. This is junior high, yes. Uh. So he talks of a night when he was uh, with his high school crush, who he says for legal reasons we're going to call Liv. And he says that he had been racking up a lot of speeding tickets. So then one night he gets into his car with Liv and she was distracting him by uh, uh, performing. I cannot believe that <laughs> we saw this on. I, I just, I always go back to that one of Tony Khan's first scrums where he's like talking about like these, these hardcore matches. Oh, you will never see that on television. It was like this line of like just things we could not do on television. It's like, dude, there, there is, there is no line to me of what TBS or TNT are willing. It's like, we want to make like blowjob references. We want to slice dudes open and bleed. We want barbed wire. Like, Anything. I, I don't think TNT and TBS are too squeamish at any of the content that AEW has. So as th- uh, this act is being performed on MJF, he hydroplaned off the road in the car. And then as he went to hit the brake, hit the accelerator by mistake, crashing into a telephone pole. And he looked over and Liv's head had gone through the windshield. And then he sees the sirens in the background. And you're wondering where this is going. It's like, the, is this man like, um, acknowledging like, a criminal? Like, like, did he murder this woman? Like, but then he explains that she was, she was alive because he could tell that she was breathing. So the type of person I am, Danielson, I switch seats with Liv so that he didn't get, I, I was going to say, like, you might get more than like a ticket for this. Like this. I don't know if your speeding tickets are going to be your downfall for for this. I don't know if that was necessary. It's like, oh, crap. I've got speeding tickets. This could make this incident real bad. Um, anyway, he says there are winners and losers in this world, and there will be no Iron Man match at the pay-per-view. Danielson will never win the title. Um, I don't know if this message required that level of story to uh, to explain that I will do anything to win a match, but I guess point conveyed. Um, it definitely was um, a shot I wasn't expecting, you know, for a wrestling program tonight. And um, I I think all in all, like it achieved what the intent was, and that's to make you really hate MJF. Um the, he, the point you know, was he, at the end of this, they did not even want people that are um they didn't even want people to applaud like well, this is a great promo in pro wrestling. Yeah. Like you wanted people to be offended by this character. We we were there in Newark where I mean he was directly playing off of the, you know, pseudo babyface vibe um to to his advantage uh, in the match with with Moxley and 
for this build towards Brian, um, you know, he's going deep, deep into, you know, heel territory to the point where even people who respect MJF will, will try to find it hard to want to cheer for him with content like this, with content like, you know, what he, what he had with the Takeshita promo from weeks back. Um, and, and that to me is clearly something they are going towards where it's going as close to the line as possible that will offend and upset some of your audience. Like the, like mm-hmm. playing off of racism, playing off of like, like this. Misogyny. It, exactly. Like they are pushing vehicular manslaughter. Well, she lived. So, um, anyway, um, my, my question would be if, if there is a MJF babyface run to come, like, do you just like retcon all this stuff and be like, it was mind games or like, like what is your out at the end of the day to make this a redeemable character down the road? Wrestling fans have a short term memory, I suppose. And, um, we tend to forgive a lot once, you know, um, a baby face is fighting for us. So I'm, I'm assuming this won't be brought up anyway. Th- th- this was quite the promo. Yeah. Then it was the Guevara Garcia or sorry, the Garcia Guevara gauntlet. Um, which you were right way. We were just going to get all of this in one shot. Um, which was the right call to make. I don't think we needed to stretch this out on multiple weeks. Uh, so, I mean, the first two were just nothing. Uh, Stark speared Angela Parker in a minute 12. Menard runs in and gets rolled up. So we are instantly going to the main match, which Guevara and Garcia both come down and surround the ring. Starks goes after Guevara, but then Garcia jumps him. So they reveal it's Garcia that is taking the match. And... Uh, they went seven and a half minutes here. Uh, it included Garcia using a deep guillotine that Starks power bombed out of a northern lights bomb by Starks and getting the audience chanting for him. Garcia stops Rochambeau and they're both on the edge where Starks hits another spear. And then on the floor, Ricky Starks is like, um, getting, getting his footing and suddenly a fan in a lucha mask runs at him with a Judas effect. And your commentators are all, what what's what's going on is it looked like a spinning elbow or something and like we, we've got to i guess play dumb here like who what could this be and garcia rolls starts into the ring pins him and then dude i'm thinking the announcers are like the only people in this building that could be confused here but then jericho takes the mask off dude you would have thought the entire arena was like oh it's jericho so maybe they were uh, this was apparently a hell of a surprise for many people. Like maybe a fan just hit the Judas effect. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, I think it would be a, a bigger swerve if, if like it wasn't Jericho underneath the mask and maybe he'll be doing that in the future. You know, he'll be playing exactly with that. But, um, it, it's, it's, it's one of the, the Jericho tropes, is it not? You know, him donning on a mask and coming into sneak attack. And wouldn't you know it? Um, these baby faces fall for it every single time. Uh, so it looks like Starks is going to have to go through more hoops to get to Jericho. A- at the very least, now there is a reason that he wants to get to Jericho. Like it yeah. is now he has failed in this run up. So there's a reason for him to continue going after Jericho. And the stretches is out to probably get you to the pay-per-view you would assume is the destination. You, you would assume so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, Starks has had the upper hand in this feud most weeks, I would say. He's already pinned Jericho. Um, so I would say, 
yeah, you're you're left with the audience not necessarily caring that much about him wanting to get revenge. This night was about him, you know, having a reason to gain that revenge. And um they certainly like stacked the odds against him. I mean, it was not like this was a fair one on one attack here from Jericho. You know, they put the guy in a gauntlet match, had him beat two guys, had him face a third, and then we had the sneak attack with the mask. So they're really doing everything they can to like really protect Starks while at the same time, you know, heating the program enough. Um I'll say like I was a little bit disappointed by the entire thing because like I think when you promise a gauntlet, you're you're kind of like there's there's sort of like a an expectation of like a and a very impressive like physical feat that you're you are going to see from a Ricky Starks tonight. And I mean these two point matches were what, a combined minute? Like minute and a half. You know, those were the first two opponents. This essentially became half a Daniel Garcia, Ricky Starks match. And it wasn't exactly the, you know, exhaustive affair that I think maybe a gauntlet promises. I was okay with the length. I didn't need it to be any longer, especially on this format of a show on Dynamite. It just really doesn't lend itself unless you're going to, you know, earmark, you know, 25 minutes for this or, or something like that. But um, yeah, that that was the angle. Renee is with Billy and the Acclaimed, and Billy is going to stay in the back tonight as he is being pulled in both directions with the Acclaimed and the guns. I guess yeah. he wasn't really going to stay loyal to this pack, though. Sign, first sign well, of trouble, he's out there. You know, in case of emergency, you you know, call daddy ass, and there was an emergency. The next angle, I thought this was great. Renee is in the trainer's room with Brian Danielson and Takeshita, who's being d- dealt with after his attack by MJF, when all of a sudden, as Danielson is speaking, the door slams shut by Jose. And then you hear in the background, Roosh's theme song beginning to signal the match, and Danielson is locked in the trainer's room. I thought this was so clever and led to uh, and this poor Renee, too, and this camera drama. Man. How can we get out of here? No. Well, I mean, this would be this would be tough. Have you ever been locked in? Have you ever been locked in a in a room and had Um, to like break a door to get out? I have not. No. Have you? I've been trapped in an elevator. I was trapped in an elevator once for for an hour on our our eighth grade trip in Ottawa. Wow, horrifying. Long time, dude. You and like who and how many other people in the elevator? It was like four of us. There's just kids. Like, did you have a, a, a supervisor, an adult with I you? I don't think so. No, no. Oh no! Wow. I, I can't even remember how we got word to them because oh, I didn't even have a cell phone at this time. This is like late nineties. Um, so, so were you scared? I wasn't scared. It was just, and of, and of course, our bus. They they didn't wait for us. They just took off because what? Yeah, You're kidding. Everyone. Everyone was going for breakfast, and it was like, we either wait for the four kids that are trapped in the elevator, or we go for breakfast. And they <laughs> You're chose kidding breakfast. me. Yeah, we, we had to then hightail it to get the breakfast once we got freed from the ele- elevator. So it was just like, uh, you know, a bunch of our students are trapped in the elevator. No big deal. You know, they'll fend for themselves. Pretty okay. much. They knew we were in there, and they still decided to go. So Goodness. Wow. Okay. Th- th- well. Thanks a lot, eighth grade. Anyway, um, couldn't break out of the elevator. And wasn't going to try any crazy, like, climbing up on top of the elevator. It's like, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I, so I, MJF I'm a patient should have, individual. The MJF should have lured them in, in the elevator is what you're saying. That would have been the key. Um, so then they're trapped in there. MJF limps out to the ring, stating Danielson is scheduled for a match. 
here in shitty El Paso, which this is not the audience that wants to be told um, of their city being anything less than stellar. So the crowd is just hating on MJF and Aubrey is instructed to ring the bell. So she does. And then we cut there and boom, Danielson and Takeshita. This is like right out of a action film. They break out of this door. They fight past Preston Vance and Jose. They, they don't just they don't just break out. Danielson smashes into the door's shoulder first, his injured shoulder. Well, that wasn't smart. You've got two shoulders, one good one, one bad one. Yeah, but come on, man. In case of emergency, use the it's, bad it's, shoulder. It's my door-breaking shoulder. I got to use it. Okay. So Aubrey gave the world's slowest count imaginable, um, which an interesting trivia note was it was this day seven years ago that Brian Danielson announced his retirement on Raw in Seattle with a young Aubrey Edwards in the crowd that people have uh, mm. picked out over the years. So all these years later, they're doing an angle together on national television. Dreams come true. And Danielson, Danielson not only made it to the ring, he had time to spare. On Aubrey's counting uh, sequence, he had about four minutes left. So before she got from seven to ten, so he was in great standing. And I mean, after- inten- intentionally slow, just because you know, of she, course, yeah, she knows she was- it would have been wrong for like the referee to, to deliver a normal count, you know, knowing the circumstances. Well, after all of this, Danielson went out and produced uh, one of. One of the best matches you are going to see. Uh, I am going to fully put it out there. When this match was announced last week, I was very ho-hum on Roosh in this spot. And sometimes you just have to say I was completely wrong. Completely wrong. This was uh, among the best matches I have seen from Roosh. Um, this was not just the Brian Danielson show, although he was incredible in this match. But this was... Um, I thought this was up there among Danielson's best. It was not Danielson's best match maybe in AEW, but I'm not – it's it's up there. In terms of TV matches, this was awesome. Fifteen and a half minutes, Danielson bled buckets, and Roosh was just the ultimate heel, breaking down his arm, uh, slaps, chops. It was just a constant beatdown. One spot of Roosh's I hate, he always does it. It's the tease of the bull's horns, but then he pulls up and just does like the little face wash and then into the tranquilo pose. It's like, if you can finish him. Huh? Why do you hate it? Because it's like, you've got him there to hit your finisher. Why wouldn't you just hit the finisher? You'd be $600,000 richer. He's, he's so cocky and confident that he doesn't need to. He, he'd rather take the opportunity instead of, you know, laying in offense. He'd rather use it to fuck around with your opponent and fuck around with the crowd. I mean, why do, why, why does Naito do the same thing? Well, how come he doesn't dive to the outside and does this pose? He, he doesn't have, he doesn't do that like mid destino where he's got him dead and he's like but he's stopping doing it the mid, destino. But he's doing it mid offensive move. He's also doing it in like the first minute or two of the match, typically. Like that's usually the first spot. Send the guy to the floor and do it. This is the guy's got him and he stops. He holds up on doing his finisher. I think a bit of bravado from from a heel is to me perfectly acceptable. Not when 600 grand is at stake, which they stated was the figure he stood to make here. Uh, but anyway, that, that, that's my, my lone bit of, uh, criticism. But nonetheless, Danielson grabs the arm for the label lock and Roosh gets away. The crowd is chanting yes, but then they move on to chants of C and they were just awesome throughout this. They're chanting C for Danielson. No, when Roosh would be in control. And then the two, uh, we see a straight jacket pile driver by Roosh for a two count. And then they go at each other with headbutts and they all looked like 
fine, except for one from Roosh that looked like he just yeah. cracked this dude. And that was the one that just, of all people, this is the last guy in the world I want to see taking an unprotected headbutt. And that looked like what Roosh nailed him with. Maybe this guy has is an amazing uh, uh, magician when it comes to these headbutts. But, dude, it looked like it cracked a man who literally retired uh, because of these problems uh, seven years ago. Definitely. Yeah, I noticed one that that looked like skull. On it, skull it was the def- one. The rest all looked fine. But it the was rest the had one. like their their hands up. But like, you know, it, it certainly makes a viewer like me uneasy if you if you've kind of followed Brian's, you know, concussion history. Um, There are like a, a billion any, anyone for that matter. Like, I don't want to see any guys doing this regardless of, of history. It's just uh, it, it takes me out of it because it's it goes from being like this great match you're invested into just and I think I don't think I'm alone in this either. I think a lot more fans are cognizant of that. They could slap each other's in the face, you know, as as a bit of co-promotion. Well, the headbutt battle ends with a final flurry and Danielson hitting uh, his second Busaiku of the match. Earlier, Roosh had kicked out of the Busaiku, but the second one keeps him down. 15 minutes and 37 seconds. Unbelievable match. This was uh, this was the match of the show. And that's a hell of a statement because um, there was quite the match to follow this, too. Yeah, I mean, um, I, as, as usual with Dynamite, I think you, you have several options and depending on your, your preferred style of wrestling, um, you could go with several. There, there were three know. really great matches on this show. Yeah. I yeah. Thought. MJF Takeshita, the elite match was really great too. So if, if you chose any of them for match of the night, I wouldn't disagree with you. This was what, this one was certainly up there. Um, when I saw the blood from Danielson here, I mean, it was one of those moments where like I'm watching AEW and I'm like, oh, okay, another dude's bleeding, like second one on the show. I, I wondered if it was necessary. By the end of the match, I completely understand why it was necessary to tell the story because you had, you know, you needed to have Brian look incredibly heroic and in overcoming this, first of all, the locker room deal and then this incredibly brutal match against Roosh. You know, it's the type of exhaustive performance that you want from a hero like a Brian Danielson. Um, so that this match with MJF feels very earned. Um, and I thought he completely achieved that. I thought Roosh was excellent here, really achieved that as well, uh, of just kind of being, you know, arguably the biggest obstacle for Brian Danielson in this entire, you know, MJF um sort of like a hand-picked opponent run. So, um I thought he he was very nasty and he was very good. And uh this type of match from Danielson, I mean, I believe he said in the past that he he lives for this sort of bloody match. That's why he um, wanted to come to AEW, he said I want to bleed. Yeah, and Vince responded, I'm never able to give you that. So, um he he's bleeding, you know. He I don't know if he's bled too much in in AEW, so, you know, Moxley isn't on this show, so he's like, I'm going to bleed tonight. To catch it a bled, so what? Like I'm, I'm gonna do it too. But it, this was great. It was a great culminating moment that really kind of made this MJF match feel very earned. Yeah, and you had MJF on commentary, and he was really good getting nervous, and they'd have the cutaways to MJF as he's nervous. Uh, and then afterwards, the match is set for the pay-per-view 60-minute Iron Man match on March 5th, and MJF attacks Danielson, applying the salt of the earth to the injured shoulder and striking down security members when they tried to break it. And then you had multiple security members trying to break the hold at the end. So there you have it, yeah. your main event, and it'll be a very interesting makeup of this card of how how many matches you put on this pay-per-view when you're allotting 60 minutes to the main event. Yeah, good point. Um, I think another thing I've noticed that MJF came out here with his knee bandaged and, um, you know, I'm married to a physiotherapist. So like she'll always point out why somebody has their knee bandaged 
outside of their pants. Um, when you apply a bandaid, John, I don't know if, um, you tend to do it on your shirt. Um, rather I put than it over my jeans. Yeah. <laughs> he came out here with, with the knee heavily bandaged outside of his tracksuit. So, I mean, um, I, I think clearly telling you that as a result of this Takeshita match, he might have that knee injury going against him, in, um, in the Ironman match. Is there an actual reason for t- uh, taping it on the outside? Is there? No, uh, fuck no. It's not stupid. I mean, if you can't take for some reason, I don't know if it's an emergency, you can't get the pants off, but yeah, it's silly. Maybe the maybe reason, the a- reason is to show everybody that, Hey, I have a knee injury. That's okay. The well, reason. there you go. It's, it's, it's a uh, pro wrestling physio, yeah. the elite against top flight and AR Fox for the trios championship. Um, <laughs> the beginning of this Don Callis's mic wasn't working and they fixed this audio problem in 10 seconds. <sighs> Come I mean, a long clearly, way from 93. <laughs> yeah. The, the audio technology has improved a whole lot since Randy Savage had bike issues in the February 15th, 1993 edition of Monday night raw. I will do my best here. AR Fox went on. Dude, this was like watching uh, Super Mario powering up uh, for this one sequence of cutters and then dives onto the Bucks, dives onto Omega, then comes back for a Topicon hero onto the Bucks. Like this guy, like his energy meter just does not go down. Um, No, not for these matches. No. Matt then did a double Northern Lights while bridging Dante for a two count. We saw uh, Fox with uh, his inverted dive to the floor, then a super nose dive off the shoulders of Darius delivered to Nick Jackson, followed by a 450 from Fox for a near fall. Anytime you're, you're getting like the audience buying all these near falls for the challengers, I would say that is mission accomplished. And they certainly did in this match. There is a slingshot by Fox, and he lands in the tombstone position with Matt holding him with an assisted indie taker by Omega and Nick. But the save is made. Nick delivers a moonsault to the floor, and it's Fox getting out of the way of the V-trigger. A knee then lands for Omega, Dr. Bomb, V-trigger, and he hoists him up for the one-winged angel. But AR Fox is still alive. He rolls through into the roll-up, and this crowd bought this near fall that AR Fox was going to pin Kenny Omega on television. And it ends with the two scrambling, and it is Omega with a simple counter to a crucifix that catches Fox in 1438. I love that of all the things that get thrown against the wall, it's a crucifix that ends up winning it uh, out of nowhere. Uh, this this was amazing. On most, I would say 90% of shows uh, that Dynamite put out, this would be my match of the show. But tonight, I, I did put Danielson Roosh as number one. But th- this was phenomenal as well. The idea that you're getting these matches on television back-to-back is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I said it uh, about them on, on, um, Rampage this past week, but, you know, um, having these trios championships and having the elite as sort of like your featured act on these shows allows you to get incredible bucks and Kenny performances without, um, you know, giving anything away in, in terms of significant tag team or singles match involving them, um, like you would on a, on a pay-per-view. You can do as many trios matches as you can on TV and they'll all be spectacular because, um, they're special when they're the, the three of them are together. They're arguably in many ways, I wouldn't say they're better than they are in their, in their tag team or singles forms, but they're different, you know, and they're different enough to be very just like attractions on their own. And when you pair them against a team like Top Plate and AR Fox, I mean, 
I, I thought, you know, this was certainly my most anticipated match of the show. And if so, again, if somebody chose it as their match of the night, I would not disagree with you. Um, it's a, it's a type of match where they gave top flight about like, you know, 75% of the offense here. And I thought those guys took full advantage. You know, we know the incredible top chemistry top flight has with the box, but this was a match where I think we really got to see Aero Fox shine on TV, especially against the Kenny Omega. Um, the way that they, changed up that final sequence i think everybody expected you know okay like the the elite are going to win one winged angel finish but they you know i thought it was a great way to subvert our expectations by having ar fox of all people counter the one winged angel and then recountering kenny's counter to ar fox's counter like so they they really kind of stack things on top of each other and i thought it was a great way of keeping people on the edge of their seat and delivering a surprise even though the finish i think was pretty much expected from everybody by also saving the one-winged angel it made me believe that maybe that's a singles match they're going to do on tv because that's the match i wanted to see after this was omega and ar fox and the finish Mm. it does open it up to that to do on a on a future episode we had a Feature on Hook, and then Lexi is with Stokely Hathaway asking about the problems within the firm, and he is downplaying it, saying everyone's doing great. The problem he has is with Hook, and blames all of their problems on on Hook, who ends up overhearing this, walking up to Stokely, and grabbing him by the arm, and telling him to watch what he says. So, man, Hook has just been sentenced from um, a wonderful burgeoning tag team to firm duty. Yeah, it looks like so. It looks like this jungle hook thing is is actually done. Hmm? Doesn't seem like at least this week they're hinting at continuing, unless Jungle not, Boy it, is is attached to this. I guess we'll see. It's um, it's it's not as though there's a whole lot going on for Jungle Boy either. Um, hmm. though he will be yeah. in in action on Rampage. They gave out the lineup here, so we have Moxley, Claudio, and Yuta against Kip Sabian, the Butcher, and the Blade. Jungle Boy will be in action. Ruby Soho takes on Marina Shafir, and we will hear from Mark Bresco, which got quite the pop when his graphic appeared on the screen. So that is yeah. coming up on Friday. I mean, at this point, this this is the most interesting to me on Rampage. And um, I would say, yeah, you know, a, a pretty strong, like, attraction for, for a Rampage. Um, we obviously haven't, you know, seen Mark Briscoe. Um, since the tribute match, and we never heard from Mark Briscoe, at least on TV. I mean, a lot of us heard from him at, uh, you know, deliver his eulogy for his brother, but, um, we've never heard him speak on AEW television. So I'm curious to see what he has to say. And it looks to me like, you know, this will be a full time return for him, right? You know, he's probably like picking up, a, like going to give some hints about his next program, his first program, I should say. Yeah. And the natural, you know, they're going to have to announce this TV show, uh, Pretty soon, you you would think hmm. the tapings expected to take place at the end of the month, and and what and, direction do we have for the ROH Tag Team Championships? It's it's a huge question. I mean, part of it is like I don't think anyone wants to see him just vacate the tag titles, and it you know in a weird way, I could totally see the idea of if it was a different setup, the idea of him teaming with Jay Lethal would actually make sense, but mm-hmm. you've got Jay Lethal in a totally different role at, at this yeah. point. One, one idea that I, it, this is not my idea, but um, I, I did see people come up with, and it's, it's a cool idea and would require them being, you know, re-signed and everything, is him and FTR going for the trio yeah. spells. I love that. You know, I mean, they've, they've been rivals for the better part of, the, you know, the entire year. Um, and I I mean, at least to an AEW audience, I think they're probably the team that might be closest, closely, most closely associated with, with the Briscoes right now. So, 
I I love that idea, and you know, who knows what's going on with FTR at the moment, but um, still doesn't answer the question about the tag team championships, though. Yeah, and you know, you would think by by SuperCard, that's you know, that's where you would want all this stuff to lead towards of whatever direction. I really like the idea of like Jay Lethal, you know, jump like pairing with him, and and I, I like it enough that I I think you sacrifice this heel team that he's got with Sanjay and, and Jeff Jarrett in order to try to make this work. It's a great excuse to turn him babyface, and it's a partner everyone would accept and take, and like it's you know you're you're putting someone into like almost like Jay's role. And it's like, there, there's only so many people that you would um, be able to mm-hmm. see being able to do that. And you've, you've established that with, with lethal. And then the main event, the acclaimed defending the tag yeah, titles. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there's a little segment with the impractical jokers earlier in the show. Um, yeah. Um, that I, right. I, we don't have to talk I, about. <laughs> they stole they Floyd. Jer- yeah. They stole they, the bat. Of Jericho's and they have invited Jericho to come on their show tomorrow night to get the bat back. So I'm guessing Sting maybe turned this down. Maybe they stole Sting's bat instead. Imagine they stole the wrong bat. Uh oh. That, that would be pretty impractical. Crazy. Uh, what a joke. You got me. The acclaimed and the guns for the AW tag titles. Uh, Matt rapped or sorry, Max rapped about, uh, that you can never finish us like the border wall and they're going to shoot them down like a Chinese spy balloon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Topical. They, very much so. They beat on Max on the floor and a long beat down spot until Bowens received the tag. And then they did a spot where a rolling elbow connected and Stefan Smith. This guy took the, the referee bump of all referee bumps. So this man, he knew he had to be out for a long time. So he was going to make it look like he was, uh, on the brink of consciousness and he gets knocked out to the floor. They continue. Austin grabs the tag title belt and this prompts daddy ass to come down and he's standing over Bowens and everyone's thinking, man, this is it. He's going to screw the acclaimed. But then as he winds up with the belt shot, he, clears Bowens out of the way and Billy stops Austin. So instead Colton comes from behind and nails his father with the belt. The acclaimed fight back. They hit the arrival and mic drop, but Stefan Smith is still out. So Max has to go revive him, tosses Stefan Smith into the ring. And then we get a kick out with Bowen sent into the ropes and nailed with the belt from the floor. Austin rolls up Bowens and we get the dramatic slow three count by Smith and the guns win the tag titles in 10 and a half minutes. And this was a first where dynamite actually had some time to kill at the end of the show. Like the music just played and these guys just stood in the ring. The music ended. So then they played the acclaim song and you're always trained in AEW. It's like they are going to use every last second that maybe they could shoot an angle in these last 60 seconds. But no, the show just ended and they they had like two minutes to kill at the end of the show. I can't remember this ever happening at Dynamite. It's just usually hmm. like a crazy sprint to that 10 o'clock minute. I mean, could it have been the the hater match, you know, possibly being short by – by that that exact amount of time, but you'd figure they'd have enough time to flex elsewhere. But um, I'm not even well, complaining. Like this, actually, instead of just this ends and we're off the air in 10 seconds, it let the 
the importance of this sink in. Like the acclaimed right. have lost the titles and you got some crowd shots and you had the reactions of the acclaimed, you had the reactions of the guns. And that's mm-hmm. something you never get at the end of these shows is digesting what you've just seen because it's boom, 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 boom. We'll see you on Friday for rampage and you're out yeah. and you just, you're spinning. Uh, I, mm-hmm. whether this was a mistake or not, I think like, there's a lesson here that, you, you know, when you do something big, give it a moment to fully digest, especially your main event that you're going off. Like there's certainly stuff in the show that you can be uh, on a quick pace and getting to the next segment. But I actually like this. Like it it was like this audience was shocked. I don't think they were necessarily expecting a title change. And uh, I yeah, wasn't. Yeah. The guns win yeah. the belts. And I, 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 would say, I go ahead. N- nothing. You, you go. Well, you know, to me, AEW title changes are are typically like somewhere between like predictable or at least like not surprising. I don't think it's that often that they do like surprising title changes, you know, and that's a good thing because you can, you know, it usually indicates like there's a there's a good story that was being told to get up to to build up to that title change. And that's why I think, you know, for the most part, their titles are pretty well protected and and significant. Um, This to me felt rather shocking or at least like surprising because i i still view the guns as like pretty low level like you know in terms of of tag teams and at least compared to the acclaimed uh, you know compared to maybe like a swerve in our glory or or like you know other tag teams that have been previously been champions i i didn't see them at that level of being you know a world championship team um the build itself i thought was kind of comedy based um but they went with what I thought was a pretty surprising um, title change here. And, you know, I, I think we could assume that maybe this is just their way of setting up an obstacle for the acclaim before they get their belts back, likely at the pay-per-view. Or maybe they don't get the belts back. I don't know. But um, it was a, a surprising finish. Um, I do have concerns, you know, with the guns as, as their champions. Because I think unlike a lot of the previous tag team champions that you've had, there's a certain level of, of expectation for in-ring um ability and i don't think the guns have reached that level yet you know um they're great personalities and i think they've made great strides as like entertaining sort of like you know acts that i feel are more kind of mid-tier at this point but um in ring is where i really do question it but um we'll see what what type of storytelling they tell you know um for the rest of this acclaimed feud i'll say like i think the billy gun tease in the middle was not at all effective um but maybe they just needed something significant involving Billy Gunn for for this title change. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I think the acclaimed it's it's not imperative that they get the belts back to them. It would be to me it would come down to what what is happening with FTR because if you feel that they are sticking around, I could get away with doing a really short Guns title reign and you get these belts to FTR. And if they're not coming back, I would want it get that that win for the guns like ftr does one last match before they they are going off and you get that win uh for a team and the guns are as good a choice you you've already done the angle so you should get to the match regardless and Hmm. and if they're sticking around like you could just do a short title reign for the guns and then ftr win the tag belts and it's and then you've got the acclaimed in the mix as well. They want mm-hmm. to get their shot back. You've got a thriving tag division. So to me, FTR is kind of the key to this tag picture and where they're going with it. But I would want to do that acclaim, uh, sorry, the guns FTR match because you did the eulogy and I think you have to 
deliver the match, um, whether they're yeah. staying or going. Agreed. So there you have it. I thought overall Dynamite, man, with just those three matches was excellent. Um, uh, to get three high quality matches like that on a two hour show, I'm, I'm going to be really hard pressed to, um, to be negative on a show like that. Uh, certainly the women's match uh, was, you know, the, the low point match wise. Um, and then uh, I'm sure the promo is what a lot of people are going to be talking about with, with MJF people that thought it was great for the character or not. Um, but, Obviously, like they are, they do not want any attributes of MJF as the cool heel that people are just so entertained by. They want you to dislike this character and his, and even the process of what he is using for heat. And I think that's, that's the line they're going. And it will, it will piss people off, but it is being done very much with that reason where you are, you are pushing these buttons that are going to be sensitive to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they did a good job of, you know, putting the focus on the Revolution main event tonight, Um, you know, making it official, first of all, but also to really heat it up with that match from Brian, with that promo from MJF, uh, with the match from MJF and Takeshita, which I thought was excellent. You know, anytime you have three matches that I think you could choose from um, of high quality, you know, that you could choose from a- a- as being match of the night, it's it's a good addition of Rampage. Um, And this show was uh like a lot of the rampages we've seen recently very very like in terms of in-ring con quality in-ring content i thought there was a lot of it and a strong build towards your pay-per-view all right um if you have any super chats you can send those into us and we will be going to forum.postwrestling.com where you can always leave your feedback after shows as well so where do you want to start way uh let's go to one super chat here this comes to us from Howie, Howie, who says, uh, who sends two dollars? Thank you for the support, Howie. He says, "Where did Hikaru Shida go?" Um, yeah, this is addressed to you, eh? Oh, what? Uh, Wolf. Let, let me look up her her recent history because it's been a while since we've seen Hikaru Shida. Um, I suppose on TV has she been on? Has she been in America? You know, I think that's an interesting question. So let's look it up. Uh. It looks like she's in Japan right now. She recently, or at least uh, January 1st, had a match in Wave. Has not had a wrestling match since January. So I, it's a great question. Um, yeah, the Maybe last she- we saw her, it was like throwing in the, the kendo stick, remember, into into the middle. And she was involved in the whole Soraya Tony Storm thing where she was sort of caught in the middle. Yeah. So is she even in the country right now? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. Sorry, Howie. All right, let's go to the uh, forum, and we start off with Benjamin. Dynamite was an okay show tonight. The Danielson-Roosh match was very violent. Having the acclaim chase the gun seems like an impulsive move. We're back to a single women's segment and poor storytelling with unexplained or contextualized character actions. Lately, AEW booking doesn't seem like it's grounded in the intent of consistent storytelling. It feels like Dynamite is booked for the pay-per-view cycles with some paint-by-numbers storytelling leading in. I like MJF's performances, but more heel making a babyface in dirt trials feels a little uninspired at this point. I'm happy to get matches like Danielson and Roosh and previously Thatcher. I also realized that we were likely spoiled with one-time runs like Hangman against the Elite and Punk against MJF, but I'm finding something missing since Full Gear and AEW doesn't really have a true North right now. Hmm. It certainly is a trope that I think they're uh, verging on, you know, overusing of like, you know, the heel, particularly MJF or Chris Jericho um, making the babyface jump through hoops in order to get to them. So hopefully they are are, are a bit more um, aware of of maybe that sort of sentiment. Mm. 
AEW booking doesn't seem like it's grounded in the intent of consistent storytelling. Do you agree with that? I don't know what he quite means by consistent storytelling. Like they are consistently yeah. telling stories, but I need more specifics about that critique. I mean, this MJF Ryan story, I thought, I, I think has been very consistent outside of maybe the weirdness of like William Regal suddenly not being part of the story at all, or at least them not mentioning him. Um, which was like a rough ultimate. transition to write him off and then get to this, which to their credit, they have gotten away where Regal is not front and center anymore, mm-hmm. which it's very hard to do that. They've kind of moved on to its own thing. But again, like it's, we're also contrasting where, you know, for, for a lot of people, they are looking at like these four week cycles that you get in a WWE format between big shows to we're going from November, November the, 19th until March the 5th. March. Yeah. It's huge. Between pay-per-views. And mm-hmm. we started Danielson MJF pretty much at full gear. Like that was from the TV coming out of that. You knew what the direction was. And they have had to do this for months at this point to get there. So I'm, I look at it. I'm, I'm not so much a stickler to, well, this is similar to this. I'm kind of looking at, well, was this good? And to me, the Danielson matches have been a highlight of television. Yes, we know where they are going, but I don't think that that has hurt like the twists and turns that people had, um, uh, believability in, in when they're, you know, gripped by a compelling match and ultimately wanting to get to that destination. That's the key. It's not so much surprising you where we're going. It's more so you know where we're going. We're trying to get you excited for where we're going. And that's, that's the hope. All right, let's go up next to Bruce Lord, who says, like last week, this was an action-focused dynamite, keeping the show's in-ring standard aloft in the new year. It was nice to see A.R. Fox get a deservedly high-profile spot. And while I've made a number of comments in the past about Roosh's AEW run not having many memorable matches, I'm more than happy to eat my words tonight. It'll be great with a New Year's distance to look back at the intensity and range of the matches Danielson's had on his way to his challenge with MJF. On another note, the opening match was great, but I feel like AEW needs to capitalize on the connection Takeshita has organically developed with the audience in some great, in some manner other than well-received losses like tonight's. Whether that takes the form of the Don Callis involvement that's been teased, defeating Cassidy for the Atlantic belt, and defending it on both sides of the ocean, or some other means. Uh, well, which ocean, um, you know, um, Bruce? Cause... Well, the All-Atlantic title represents every ocean, even no, though its exactly. name does not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fulfillment of Takeshita's star potential can't be accomplished through goodwill alone. Am I worrying too much, or would you guys like to see some tangible elevation of him in the short term? Um, absolutely. I think we, you know, I echoed a lot of your sentiments earlier on in this uh, program. You know, it's, it's all well and good to have, I mean, you know, how many Dante Martins can you have, you know, that, that like always impress? How many, uh, Phoenixes can you have, you know, that, where they always impress in the, or banditos, like, you know, kind of you name it. Like there's just sort of like mid tier that is always going to receive these well received, um, ovations for, for their, uh, attempts at beating a top guy. Um, They'll get their standing ovation, you know, at the, at the end of a match where they've lost, but, um, the follow through for almost all of those names has been very lacking because you tend to not see them anymore after that, you know, um, significant loss. And Takeshita, you know, the difference is that he, he is in a, in a TV role. Like he's in a consistent role now, especially attached to Brian. I think tonight he had a very specific role to play in 
giving fuel for Brian's revenge, you know, towards MJF. Um, so I'm curious to see how they follow up, you know, um, is, does it need to come in the form of a championship? Eventually, yeah. Um, does it need to come in the form of a championship for this particular storyline? If you want to elevate Takeshita. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious based on his handling. Like they are not, um, oblivious to this fact. Like they clearly see what everyone else does in Takeshita. But again, it always goes to the timing. Like you can, you can miss the mark and you can't take this momentum for grant, for granted because it can, it can shift. And there is that, that one loss that it's just going to take that oomph out of it that makes it special and unique that you want to be able to capitalize on it and at, at the same time maximize it for the most amount of value. I would say in the short term, I would be very much leaning towards the idea of Danielson and Takeshita having this relationship that is separate from the BCC. And if that can maybe lead to like Takeshita and Claudio, maybe for like Supercard, like that is to me the kind of stepping stone for a Takeshita, um, headlining a big show. And maybe that is something you, you go with where it's, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting him to win the world championship, but uh, it, on the AEW side, but maybe that is, um, that that's one area to, to go to. I'm curious to see what sort of storytelling they can do with him. You know, um, I, I still feel like AEW is somewhat unproven with like their, their Japanese or like their non-English speaking stars uh, in, in their ability to create like, you know, compelling, significant feuds, um, where they have a lot to say or do, um, and, and, and just kind of like motivation. So I'm curious to see if they could achieve that with Takeshita because in ring, I mean, the man can't be better, uh, than he already is. Uh, speaking of Brian, we got a super chat here from Matt who sends $2. Thank you for the support, Matt. He asks, is Brian still in the Blackpool Combat Club? Yeah, I think he I still has so. his, his cer- certificate of, uh, inclusion in his wallet, in his, uh, tree wallet. Yeah. He's got the fob. Um, that's required to enter. Yeah. Johnny writes, fantastic dynamite minus one thing. Love seeing Takeshita get more and more over. Roosh has been my standout signing from the past year. Hearing the stories of his ROH run made me a bit hesitant, but he's been knocking it out of the park. He's everything I was hoping Andrade would have been. Trio's match just stealing match of the night, but that ending, I feel like they were expecting the gun club to have massive heat, but the crowd didn't care. They haven't built gun club to the level of heels where booze were going to happen when they won. Do you think this title change signal signals that FTR have resigned since I think it would be pointless just to have the acclaimed win it back. I think FDR, that's, that's the big question of, I would say that it would only make sense that FTR would challenge them for the tag titles. I think that match happens regardless. And then it's just a question of, do you put them over for the titles or are they coming back to lose to the gun club? And that would maybe tip their hand of what, what's in store for uh, FTR at this point. What, what, what are, um, so if they aren't resigned, what would be the last time you could, do that like when when the one of their contracts up essentially i think they had said uh, i think dax had said april right okay interesting so So you could do it you could fit it in for revolution absolutely yes all right we're going to saeed from vancouver who says a very fun episode of dynamite match of the night for me for me was mjf versus takeshita really wish we could see mjf wrestle more i somehow forget how good he is until i see him wrestle again just when i think they can't increase my hype for the iron man match they somehow bring it up every week a hot crowd left silent that is so rare for aew to do speaking of the main event yeah Jordan in the Bronx. I can't remember a time where Dynamite went off the air with a silent crowd, save for the Dark Order beating down the Elite. Uh, 
I would say the uh, the Sutton Singh reveal. Do you remember that one? Was that to close Dynamite? <laughs> that was at the end. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Serious balls to put the tag titles on the guns without a Billy Gun heel turn. I suppose it's a way to get to FTR when they return. The wrestling on the show was great. Hopefully the bunny is okay. The MJF promo went a direction I was not ready for. Takeshita continues to be fantastic, and I love how much TV time Roosh is getting. The Soraya and JAS stuff hasn't clicked with me yet. Uh, Sylvia's is good, but the better mac and cheese place in Harlem is Amy Ruth's. Yeah, this is in reference to uh, Stokely's uh, mentioning to, to Hook that he would take him to Sylvia's. Interesting. So, okay. Hit hit up Amy Ruth's if that maybe that would uh that would connect with Hook. Um you know, giving Mindy's a run for uh, her money in a promotional local food chains named after a woman. All right, let's go to Steve Grossweed who who says, "This was a crazy show. The elite match was incredible. The main event got awkward at the end. We'll see where it goes." Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers Jokers also co-hosts a podcast with Kevin Smith's friends called Tell Him Steve Dave. He mentioned on that show a while ago that he was potentially going to be training for a wrestling match and hasn't spoken about it since. So I'm expecting that this angle on their premiere will lead to a match between him and Jericho in some form for a smaller building. It felt like a big show. Yeah. Um, do they have room on revolution for, for this, uh, John? <laughs> I, um, I pray they don't. Uh, Brian Quinn versus Chris Jericho. Yeah. Step aside, Ricky Starks. That's, uh, maybe that's the direction we get. From John Sino, from a reporting standpoint, the last couple of weeks have been much easier to write about as it feels like the pacing was much better and gives more room to breathe. Something happened tonight that that made that not click. One second, the elite is celebrating. Then they had to rush to a hook video promo for some reason. This show was so busy. Excalibur didn't even announce any matches for Dynamite. The Soraya-Tony Storm match just isn't working for me. At least they didn't put Jays to their forehead to build to a future tag team match against the Bellas. With GCW announcing uh, Nick Gage versus Mike Bailey next week, how about putting the title on Speedball and have him defend it all Mania weekend? He has to fight Osprey, Abushi, and Vikingo within 24 hours. That's right. He's got the Vikingo match as well. That is insane what Speedball yeah. has that weekend. I, I forgot about the Vikingo match for spring break. I don't think he's beating um, most of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if GCW um, – like. I don't, I don't know if the belt would, would work, uh, for these particular matches. I don't see him beating Osprey. I don't see him beating Ibushi. I, um, I don't care what belts are involved and I don't care who wins these matches. Those are going to be three of the biggest matches of the weekend of any cards. Yeah, absolutely. I think fight should just like, you know, have like a speedball special. You know, you, you could charge like 10 bucks and just follow all of his matches. That's going to be the next thing. Wrestlers get the rights to their own streams for their matches. Yeah. You got to pay a la carte for their match. You don't have to you get you don't have to buy the whole card. You can just buy the speedball match for like an, a, a certain amount. I'm I'm sure that's been, that, like that idea has probably been thought about, but I mean, how much do you like do you do do it like iTunes used to, like a dollar a song? Like what if one match is 60 minutes, another match is 30 seconds? It'd be an interesting I don't think it would do well, but it would be really interesting if you went back and like fight tried that for, for a major card. Like say even even like let let's take a AEW show. It would be really interesting if you could buy the pay per view replay for your whatever it is forty bucks, or you just put each match up and each match is like five bucks, and which matches would literally get the most like uh, money. Uh, attached to it I, that would be really just an interesting test and I, it would have to be something at the scale of an aew of someone that doesn't want to spend 40 but would want to spend maybe 15 bucks on the three big matches 
you know, if why don't you create this? If the technology <laughs> you're asking me, we'll sell we'll sell our segments, okay? Instead of the whole show. Sure. Okay. So every review of a match is its own thing that we instead will... of a free show, you can pay for individual segments. Well, where does it end, John? Like, why not individual sentences? You know, every individual words we could charge. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work on on the back end to have to segment all that, but one fee would or no you not fee. do that for, for for the amount of wrestling you watch if you were just seeking out like how many shows do you go and grab grab where it's it's like one John, match you're looking out for the answer is yes the answer is yes i think that i think that would be very interesting to see now i i don't know if like there's value in segments in every single match i think you can offer maybe the main event you know uh, of let's say like a new japan show you know or, or stardom or something like something like stardom might be a perfect sort of example you hear so much about like you know these these like main events but um somebody might not want to commit to an entire show um you know like how much would you justify if we charge for like a, a really hot stardom main event well it would depend on if it's i mean for for a stardom pay-per-view like those stardom pay-per-views are around like 40 bucks okay so and so if you're taking say the top three matches and you're putting a price of like the the whole goal would be there's so many great matches just buy the pay-per-view like that would be the hope but at the same time there's people that are not going to buy a 40 dollar pay-per-view but you can still get revenue out of these people that might be interested in dropping for the hot match that everyone's talking about well there's that i i think the bigger value is just to get people into your credit card system you know so that they they have an easy one-click way of like you know being able to now like be attached to stardom world or something like that well Um, well, that would be the technology that would be superior is that you insert your credit card information and it's just an instant click for a match yeah yeah and i think you would get recurring business for big shows like that where you made that and and what is it other than you know launching something with this kind of back end to it like once it's up and going like there's no it's just offering individual files like it's not a whole lot of mm-hmm. extra work beyond creating this behemoth of a of a uh back end site but now, if someone smart, uh, smarter than me, uh, put this together, I, I would be very curious to see if it would have that kind of appeal or if that's just not in fans kind of, uh, habits of buying individual matches. It's sort of, you're either watching the show or you're not interested, but it would be an interesting experiment. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, I think promotions are, are kind of offering their matches like for free, uh, like, like heavily buzzed about matches for free as sort of like a calling card to like get some eyeballs. I almost wonder if there's like, um, more benefit to like charging a buck for the match again, just to kind of get people familiarized with your, um, streaming system and, and platform and, um, you know, truly maybe attaching some value and maybe seeing some form of return just based off of some of that curiosity. Um, it's, it's maybe an idea. a weekend would be the time to do it is like at the end of that weekend is people going back. Nobody's watching all these shows, but you mm-hmm. are going to have lists of the top 15 matches of WrestleMania week. Yeah. And, but, but you know, again, with something like Fight Plus, like it's, it's like what five bucks at this point, you're not, <laughs> it's the price. It's, it's just, not much. You more might than, as like, well. What you would, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. they, they, they've underpriced it. Like I, I would not be uh, at all. Uh, I don't think you would have any disagreement about dropping, you know, 
four, like a lot, lot more money than $5 for some of these shows. So it's like, I think they've greatly underpriced it, but I think they're playing the long game. They want people to sign up for the service and they will sacrifice whatever um, extra revenue they could make that weekend for people that are going to sign up and stay with the service. It's the same philosophy as, you know, them putting WrestleMania as part of um, the WWE network. It's the same. So, yeah. Okay. Let's go to um, Muggin. Right, Muggin says, a uh, passable show despite some bright spots with Takeshita and Friedman, the trios match, and Roosh and Danielson. The tag title match was overbooked to the max. Billy Gunn's presence signaled a swerve, except there was none, and the ending was a dud. This Soraya Tony heel turn and uh, heel act is falling flat. Is it just me, me, or does Jericho and Stark's feud appear to have hit a brick wall? Um, you, you're probably not alone in feeling that way. I thought tonight was, um, at least, uh, somewhat productive in, you know, giving us a, a further reason of wanting to see Ricky Starks finally beat Chris Jericho. But I do think, uh, at least at this point, like Starks having already beaten him and maybe even throwing the action Andretti loss, um, you know, that, that Jericho suffered as well, that, that might have ultimately affected like the point that we're feeling right now of like a Jericho, a win over Jericho, not meaning a whole lot for Ricky Starks. Um, I still like, I think the action in dirty one was, was definitely worthwhile. Um, but you know, um, have they built up like Jericho's, um, heat enough to, to a point where a second win means anything. I, I don't know if the answer is yes yet. Maybe Ricky Starks shows up on impractical jokers. That could do it. I mean, Brian Quinn is really the match I think we're all building to here. That's, that's, that's Ricky Starks is a setup guy for Brian Quinn. That's, that's how it should be. Cody from Maine is our last piece of feedback. As usual, a strong dynamite between the ropes that was boosted by a hot crowd in a new market. Still not sold on the original storyline or the decision to extend the Jericho Starks feud, but those are the only two aspects of the show that aren't clicking for me. So. Pretty consistent in those two kind of uh, weighing people down. Might be a less popular take, but I'm perfectly fine with the guns winning the tag titles. I get that they're not the most complete product within the division, but I'm int- intrigued to see where they go. I, I I sense the same. It's like I did not take that reaction from the crowd as a rejection. I thought it was like legitimately stunning to this audience that the acclaimed lost the titles. And I didn't view it as like this negative mark on the guns either. Um, you know, they're, they're a much improved act. I can understand people's hesitancy. Like they are not as, um, advanced as others, but I, I also think they've made great strides and, and this could end up being a very short title run. And if this gets them to the next level, then, then great. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like AEW has kind of like set a standard for like, you know, when you've maybe Jade Cargill aside, cause like she, she's really kind of brand new, but that's also a brand new title. But at least with the tag team titles, I like, look how long like a Jurassic Express kind of had to wait before getting there, right? Like you have to be somewhat proven and, and you have to like, you know, have a certain level of the audience's like desire and momentum behind you, even as a heel tag team, I would say, you know, before you, get handed that ball now like this talking point i think would be booed if it is like in fact just like if they're just playing transitional champions for an ftr right then i think this this does make sense um but um you know if they are indeed like kind of being given the ball so to speak to lead a division i i definitely understand why there would be has uh you know um uh, uh, skepticism all right that wraps up dynamite from el paso texas a um would you call this a strong show way? Yeah, I would. Like yeah. three really good matches on the show. I think we're 
very spoiled when you're getting that level of matches. Um, but that's almost becoming the norm on some of these shows. But tonight was, uh, I thought really, really impressive when you're getting uh, three matches of that caliber. Way and I are back on Friday night because way demands. We, we can't go more than 48 hours without, uh, solving all the world's problems. So we will do so again Friday night, 11 Eastern here at the post wrestling cafe. So jump on board, get all caught up on February of 1993, a riveting time in world wrestling federation history as they took on the media and, uh, join us Friday night. We'll be chatting about SmackDown, the, uh, the road to Montreal and then rampage featuring the Blackpool combat club in action, jungle boy and, uh, plenty more. Uh, so there you have it. Um, as, uh, as way is uh, being overtaken by bars and tone, but we will uh, say goodbye. Oops, sorry. Okay, that was it. we made we, we were doing so well up until this point. It yeah. threw me. It threw me. So there you have it. Uh, I thought you were maybe doing some special effect of uh, of some sort. That's it for us. Good night. Have a uh, have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful Thursday. Way, are you excited about February the ninth? Um, I'm excited about every day. So yes. Yes. Hey, last trivia note. Do you know what happened in Toronto on the state 24 years ago? Okay. Um, uh, I have no idea what it was raw at the sky dome. Oh, over 40,000 people. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <Good night. laughs> cool. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 